Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Today we are uh, entering back into a series we've been in for the last four weeks, and I'm gonna just go right for it today because I don't wanna waste any time. I'm really excited about what's going to come at the conclusion of this service. So if you're joining us today, let me catch you up to speed. We've been in this series for the last four weeks. It's entitled Bewitched, The Good News Gone Bad. And we have been discussing this short letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatian church, the book of Galatians, as they find themselves in a bit of a theological crisis. And um, our key text is found in Galatians chapter three, verses one through three, uh, where Paul writes, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the spirit by obeying the law? Of course you didn't. You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And uh, we've discussed that scripture at length for the last couple of weeks, but to distill it down to some simple thoughts, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter after establishing the gospel in Galatia, the gospel we know now according to Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where he says, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves, but this is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone has the opportunity to boast. In other words, we don't really bring anything good to the table. Jesus brought all the good stuff to the table. All we bring to the table is our faith and our trust and the sufficiency of his sacrifice, and that is all he requires for man to be saved. Uh, but that message was being contradicted by some Jewish folks that were coming back into the church and they were propagating what Paul calls a perverted gospel, one that suggested that God's grace was not enough to sustain salvation. It might've been enough at the beginning, but ultimately you had to sustain your salvation through some good works and obedience to a law that they had created. And at the end of the day, Paul says, I need to come back and correct this wrong thinking, remind you of the simple gospel, that you were called by grace, you were saved by grace, and you are sustained by God's grace. That has been our thesis for the last couple of weeks. And we've talked about that grace at length. Uh, week one, I talked about the legitimacy of that grace. Uh, week two, we talked about protecting the purity of that grace and making sure that we don't marinate in all the other stuff in our surroundings. Uh, week three, we talked about having a personal encounter, a moment with that grace. And then last week, we talked about Paul's warning regarding what he called meaningless grace, sitting at one of the two tables. If you missed any of those, you can go back and check them out. But Today, we are gonna move into another major theme of the book of Galatians. In fact, maybe even a greater theme than the one we have been discussing. We're talking about freedom. Come on, somebody give me your best Mel Gibson Braveheart freedom in the room with a little Irish, Scottish accent. What do you got? Come on, one, two, three. Freedom! <laughs> I tried this at the first service. Let me see if I can do it this time a little bit better because they mocked my Scottish accent last service, all right? They may take, no, I can't do it. <laughs> they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Solid B plus, decent. Cool, all right, you guys have a great 4th of judgment. <laughs> now we're gonna talk about some freedom. That is a major theme in the book of Galatians. Uh, in fact, the word freedom and the concept of freedom is addressed more frequently in Galatians than any of the other New Testament books. It's a massive theme in there. So much so uh, that one of my favorite theologians, uh, David Guzik, he calls the book of Galatians the Declaration of Christian Independence. 
Um, I think that's a bit of a cheesy term, personally. <laughs> it's like, okay, trying to steal what's happened in the real world and apply it to the, to the scriptures. But actually, I found out from some of my friends who attended Christian schools growing up that there's also like a Christian Pledge of Allegiance and like a Christian flag that you're supposed to like pledge allegiance to. I'm like, okay, we're taking this a little bit too far. <laughs> Anyone can just make up a Pledge of Allegiance, can't they? Some homeschool kid. Hey, mom, guess what? I made my own flag for our family and I wrote a Pledge of Allegiance for us. It's going to be great. Good job, Dawson. Here's a gold star, you know, whatever. Dawson. If you're Dawson, my apologies, all right? I'm sure you're super cool and you went to public school. Hey, and that rhymes. Hallelujah. All right. But I, I love talking about this subject of freedom. It's one of my favorite things to preach about. It's one of my favorite subjects to study in scripture. And, and here's why. Freedom is, I think, one of the deepest of human desires, but it's one of the most elusive of human experiences. Everybody wants it, but it seems that so few actually lay hold of it. And I'm, for the record, not just talking about people that are outside of church and don't really have any hope in Jesus. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about believers who have placed their lives, their trust, their everything in the name of Jesus, and yet still continue to live with varying levels of bondage in their life. Anxiety, depression, addiction, fear, unforgiveness from yesterday. You name it, these things that try to keep us bound. In fact, so many people have resolved because they haven't experienced freedom that it simply isn't available. It's an impossibility. I talk to a lot of people as uh, you know, Pastor Wood who are walking through issues in life and it's funny how some of us have just simply settled for the idea that freedom is nothing more than a temporary reprieve for seasons, but ultimately we're gonna walk right back in to the same cycle of sin that we've always struggled with. For some, it's like freedom is nothing more than a longer leash that the enemy has on you. You can go a week, two weeks, a month, two months, maybe at best six months before you fall flat on your face again. But ultimately, you're never gonna be free. In fact, that's what most people believe. Okay, well, freedom is a one-day promise. One day I'm gonna go to heaven, and then I'll have freedom in Jesus. But while I'm stuck here on earth, this is going to be my lot in life. I'm going to be dealing with bondage. That's what so many people believe. But if I could be so bold, as we sit here in this rented space on a Sunday morning, I would say to anyone who is bought into that lie that it is in fact a lie. It is not the truth. Scripture speaks to the contrary of that belief. Jesus said of himself in Luke chapter four, the reason I came to this planet is to liberate every single person who finds themselves in captivity. He says in John chapter eight, whom I set free is free indeed. And that word indeed means indeed. It does not mean for a week or for six months or for a year or for a decade, but once and for all, he has set you free. The apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter three that the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Last I checked, when you said yes to Jesus and invited him into your life, his spirit made its way onto the inside of you. And if his spirit lives on the, oh, come on, I'm preaching already today. It's on the inside of you then you now have access to a freedom you did not have access to before. If his spirit's in you, then you are free. But although Jesus promises it and scripture speaks to it, it's amazing how few people actually experience it. Many of us still living with a lack of freedom. And so as we go to the word today and we look at Galatians uh, once again, I think we might discover why that is, why this freedom that scripture speaks of seems to elude many of us. And not just discover why, but discover how we can actually lay hold of this freedom that Christ has promised to us in him. 
So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time there and then in the first verse of chapter 5 as well. A little backdrop for you as we get into this. Uh, As Paul writes this section of his letter, he begins to use this analogy to describe the concept of freedom that he's trying to articulate to the Galatians. Uh, And I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like this before, but if it feels like the person isn't understanding what you're saying, you try to find another way to pitch it to him. Like, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like, that's what he's, he's having one of those moments right here. And, And he begins to give this beautiful analogy that paints a vivid picture of what freedom is supposed to look like. He says in Galatians 4, chapter one, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set. And that's the way it was for us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual powers of this world, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, and God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love that analogy. He says, in the same way, let's pretend your dad is rich. This is already a great story for some of you. Your dad is really, really rich, all right? And he saved up a bunch of money for you, but he tragically passes away before his time. Well, as a child, that money isn't gonna do you very good. You, you, you can't access it as a kid because you might, you might misuse it, you might misappropriate it. And so there's a, a date of maturation where you can now access that inheritance. And once you reach that age, it is all yours, baby. And he says, that's what it was like for us. Before there was Jesus, the world did not have access to true freedom. Think about that. For thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene, there was only a temporary partial version of freedom available to humanity. But here we are on the other side of the cross. Come on, how many grateful that we were born into the day and age that we were born into, where Jesus has already given up his life on our behalf and because of his sacrifice, we have access now to freedom. Simply put, pre-Jesus, no freedom. Post-Jesus, heck of freedom. That's, That's your theological statement for the day, all right? Now that we have Christ, we have all the freedom that we need. And so he begins to, again, paint some other pictures and use some other analogies, and he reverts, or refers back to some Old Testament scriptures and some narratives there that we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But he concludes this whole section about freedom in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, So, in other words, in light of everything I just said, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've been set free, now stay free, and don't go back to where you came from. So in light of that admonition there from the apostle, I wanna title this chat today, No Strings Attached. No Strings Attached. And as we get into this, I wanna pray. And I wanna pray that this would be more than just a normal message on a Sunday morning, uh, more than just some guy up here talking to you, but that the Holy Spirit would awaken our hearts to this reality today. And I believe, as we've been praying and preparing all week long, that there's some people leaving today with a fresh dose of freedom that you've never tasted before. So let me pray. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word has the power to break off mindsets, chains, uh, addictions, powers that seem to be keeping us controlled. And today, as we go to your word, I pray that it would do what it has promised to do. That it would not be the words of a man that changes lives because my words do nothing, but your words are ultimately capable of changing not just our lives here on planet earth, but for eternity. 
So Jesus, I pray that over these next couple of moments, you would speak to direct, directly to every heart and every mind and that we would receive everything you have for us before we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, years ago, I read a story about an African elephant named Sophie. Um, the story goes that Sophie was born into captivity and uh, as a elephant, as a baby, she was raised by a circus and ultimately when she became of age and of size, uh, she was given a job at the circus and her job was the same every single day of her life. In the morning, her and her friend would be released from uh, their cages where they slept and they were walked out to the front of the tent where the circus took place and lines of children would wait all day long to ride on the backs of these two elephants. They'd get down on their front knee and a child would jump up and then they would tie these elephants to a post that had been sunk into the ground and the rope would wrap around their neck and they would simply walk in circles around this post giving ch children rides all day, every day. And that happened for 20 years of Sophie's life. For the first 20 years, that is the only existence she knew. But after 20 years, the circus kind of ran out of money. People stopped coming. And so eventually, as they were bankrupt, they had to close the circus down. And all of their belongings, including their animals, were now up for grabs. Uh, fortunately for Sophie and her friend, there was a rescue organization that decided to take responsibility for these two elephants in hopes that they could rehabilitate them and then release them back into the African wild. Uh, I guess elephants live to 50 or 60 years or so, and so their, their thought process was, well, she's got two-thirds of her life left. Let's not keep her in captivity. Let's set her free. So they arranged for these two elephants to be taken in crates overseas to Africa, where they hung out on this rehabilitation preserve for a period of time until her handlers felt that she was capable of reintegrating back into the wild. And when that day came, they sedated her, and, and they took her in another crate to the African savanna, and they backed up to this vast expanse of land with a water feature out on the right and a bunch of elephants out there uh, enjoying themselves at the watering hole in hopes that she would walk out and be accepted back into elephant society. And the moment came where the doors opened and as the doors opened, uh, Sophie took her first glance at freedom. She had never seen this before. For the first time in her life, she was looking at an opportunity to walk out into something that she never thought she would have access to. But what happened next was both shocking and heartbreaking to her handlers. As she stepped out of her crate and she looked out into the distance at the elephant crew that was waiting for her, she decided not to walk in their direction. Instead, she looked to the left and she saw a solitary object out in the distance that she made her way towards. It was a broom tree. And as she walked up to this tree, she spaced herself equal distance to the rope that she had known her entire life. And she just began to walk in circles around this tree for hours, just walking in circles. Standing in freedom, staring at what had been made available to her, but somehow incapable of laying hold of it, incapable of receiving it. And I remember reading that story on a plane and becoming incredibly emotional as I read it. Just weeping like a baby into my vomit bag right there in my seat. So much so that the guy next to me is like, hey man, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm totally fine. I'm definitely not crying reading a story about an elephant. I'm a grown man. <clears throat> but I was losing it. And the reason I became so emotional as I read that story was not because of my deep affection for elephants, although I think they're great. 
It was because as I read that story, I was keenly aware of the fact that it could have just as easily been written about me. I felt like I understood this elephant's position where they were standing in freedom, but incapable of laying hold of it. Being offered this vast expanse of freedom, but feeling like at this time in my life, I just found myself walking in circles around the same post of my past, being incapable of laying hold of that freedom. And I would assume that that could probably be the autobiography of a lot of believers. In fact, maybe some of us here sitting in the room today or watching online, we would say freedom has been offered to us, but for some reason, I don't feel like I can lay hold of it. It feels like I am still stuck to this post, even though the ropes have been cut and freedom has been offered, I can't seem to stop walking in circles. And that was the reality for this Galatian church. That is why the apostle Paul writes this section of his letter. Because there were some people who had been offered freedom, but they were not walking in it. And he uses a rather interesting phrase, maybe even an offensive phrase in our culture that he uses to, to articulate this reality. Something that, again, might rub us the wrong way, but it paints a very vivid picture of what it feels like when freedom is offered, but you can't seem to lay hold of it. In both Galatians chapter four and in Galatians chapter five, he calls this reality slavery. To, to be offered something you can't seem to take hold of and find yourself bound to something that you don't want to be bound to any longer, he calls it slavery. Again, an offensive term, but intentional. I think the reason Paul uses this phrase multiple times in the New Testament is because he understands that our lack of freedom is not due to our lack of desire. Everybody wants freedom. We all desire what's on the other side of that broken chain or that severed cord. We want it, but we just can't seem to lay hold of it. It feels like there's a controlling master that just won't let us up. In fact, the apostle Peter speaks to this as well in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, where he says, for you are a slave to whatever masters you. You're a slave to whatever masters you. That word masters in the Greek, it means to be controlled like a puppet. A wooden doll with strings attached to all of its appendages, being forced to do whatever the puppet master tells you to do. Dance. I'll dance. Enter into this toxic relationship. I'll enter into this toxic relationship. Take the substance again. I'll take the substance again. Look at the image again. I'll look at the image again. Some of us, that is our reality. We feel like we're being puppeted by a master that is just controlling us. Our emotions, our mindsets, our desires, our urges. We, we can't seem to break free from the strings. And yet in the back of our heads, we sing these songs at church and we see these displays in scripture of the freedom that's been made available to us. And we wonder, is that ever going to be my reality? Is there ever gonna be a moment where I step into freedom for real? Is there gonna be a moment where I get to live with no strings attached? Well, Pinocchio, <laughs> yes, there is. 
According to Paul, that is not your lot in life. In fact, let me just speak as loud and clear as I possibly can today. That is not the Christian existence. Being controlled by a master, forced to do things you do not want to do until one day hoping that it might get resolved in heaven, that is not your reality. Jesus said that heaven can touch earth. He asked us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there is a freedom that is available to us, yes, on this side of eternity while we're here in our earth suits. There's a freedom here. So how do we get it? Well, well Paul begins to expand on this a little bit further in Galatians 5.1. And this is where I want to spend the, the majority of the rest of our time today. He says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, a yoke of slavery. I want, I want to focus on those three words. Don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't be yoked up again to slavery. That's probably a word you don't use regularly in your day-to-day -day speech. In fact, there's probably only a couple occasions where you'd use the word yoke. Uh, if you misspelled the yellow section of an egg, there's an L in there, just in case you're wondering, Y-O-L-K. Or if you are referring to the physique of one of your pastors. Robin, to be clear, okay? Just so that we know what we're talking about here today. Girl's got biceps that won't quit and some traps that puts most men to shame, all right? Let's just be honest. It's intimidating as her husband to work out with her in the morning. You should hear the way she yells at me when we get into the gym. Come on, what are you doing? Stop being a baby. Lift the weights, come on. I did not marry a girl, I married you. Come on, lift the weight, the higher, come on. Do it immediately. Okay, babe, whatever you say. <laughs> She's aggressive. Pray for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm gonna go on a limb and suggest that that's probably not what Paul's talking about here, okay? Most theologians actually believe that Paul was hunchback and we know that he didn't care much about physical strength. Refer to 1 Timothy chapter four, where he says, it's better to be strong in the spirit than it is to be strong in the natural. Translation, I eat donuts and I don't care about my figure, so don't worry about me, just back down, all right? I'm gonna do what I do, you do you, boo-boo. That's what he's saying. <laughs> so he's probably not channeling his inner Arnold here as he talks about yoke. So, so what is the apostle speaking of when he says a yoke of slavery? Well, uh, let me, let me, let me give you an example of this so that we can all kind of understand. Uh, Eric, I'm going to borrow you again. And I know I had said Amy, but actually I think I'm going to bring my daughter up. Ellie, will you come up on stage real quick? Come on, give it up for these guys as they come. Eric, will you grab that over there? Maybe stand right uh, here. Stand right over here for just a moment. Look at the people. This is what I deal with every single week. You see the way they look at me? <laughs> the people rolling their eyes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you stand right there. So when a farmer... Eric, why don't you go ahead and slide into that side there. When a farmer was um, getting ready to plow his field, he would take a couple of oxen, a team of oxen, and he would yoke the two of them together. Uh, if you ever wonder how much I love you or how deeply committed I am to sermon illustrations, I built this yesterday, okay? Just call me Tim the Toolman Taylor. Just throwing that out there, all right? And... Uh, the, 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 the farmer would take a yoke similar to this and he would find an oxen and he would yoke this oxen up on one side. But it was really important that the farmer found another ox that was of similar size and similar strength. If one side was stronger than the other, then they would end up dragging the other oxen around. So in our case, if I were to bring my wife up here and put her on this side, she would drag Eric all around the stage and make him look like a fool. Uh, however, since I'm up here right now, um, I can get into the other side of this yoke and Eric is my workout buddy and we tend to you know, lift similar weights and we're about a similar size. So if the two of us 
were to work a field together, it would be evenly plowed because we are equally yoked. Um, however, this is not what Paul is speaking of. He's talking about an unequally yoked setup. So Ellie, if you wouldn't mind, come on over here. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> this is all, I've never had my kid on stage with this. kind of fun. Okay. So this is the scenario that Paul is painting for us. <laughs> he says, before you knew Jesus, before Jesus came to this planet, we had an unequally yoked situation on our hands. You might've heard that phrase, by the way, in scripture before. Generally, it's when you're dating a joker that doesn't know Jesus and someone comes to you to try to keep you accountable and they quote 2 Corinthians 6 and they say, well, you are unequally yoked. This is the picture that scripture is speaking of. Hey, he don't know Jesus. He ain't trying to follow Jesus and he's about to drag you around straight to the pits of hell unless you break up with him immediately, okay? So get up out of that. That's a different sermon for another day. We'll get to that another time. But this is what scripture speaks of. And Paul says, this was, your, this was your lot in life before Christ. You were, no offense, weak. <laughs> Latched up to something that was stronger than you. And it seemed to control you. It would drag you around and make you do some stuff you didn't want to do. But this is not your reality any longer. There was a moment where Jesus came and he severed the cord that attached you to that yoke and you were set free. So now this side sits vacant, but you can dance and sing and you can, I just hit you in the head, I'm sorry. And you get to enjoy this freedom that has been made available to you in Christ. You're not bound to the old version of yourself or your old addictions or your old sin patterns or your old mindsets. No, you've been liberated so that you can walk in freedom. Come on, give it up for my daughter and for this other joker on stage with her, yeah. <laughs> leave that, leave that right there. That's the reality that's been made available to all of us. And for the record, Paul is not just trying to like hype you up and get you to clap and go, yeah, amen, without providing some data to prove that that is now our reality. He actually tells us how this became our experience. Again, back in Galatians chapter four, look at what he says. In reference to how this yoke was broken, he said, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves. How did Jesus set us free? He bought freedom for us. He paid the price for our freedom, which begs the question, how? Death. Thank you. Death, the obvious answer. He gave his life. His death made a way for us to be set free. You know, this time of year and other military holidays, you, you often hear that phrase, uh, freedom isn't free. It costs folks like you and me. Like that's the phrase that we hear. And that's true. In fact, no truer is that statement than in this scenario. Our freedom was not free. It costs the father his son. It costs Jesus his life. In fact, it costs us everything to lay hold of the freedom that's available to us in Jesus. There is a cost involved. However, there was a specific price that Jesus paid for our freedom directly related to slavery. Allow me to extend, expand. Most of us who've read through the gospels or spent some time in a Good Friday service before know the story about a guy named Judas. He was the punk that sold Jesus out to the Roman government. Story goes that uh, nearing the time when Jesus was going to give his life uh, Judas goes to the leading priests and he arranges to sell Jesus out. He says, all right, I'll tell you when he's at this certain place at a certain time and you can bring the guards and arrest him and then you can haul him off uh, to be executed. 
But what are you going to give me, he asks, for handing over Jesus to you? And they discuss among themselves, and ultimately they decide that the price for Jesus' head is 30 pieces of silver. Today, roughly worth $400. Now that might seem like a random number, but that is not some random figure. It is, in fact, a prophetic picture of what was taking place. Any Jew reading this story, any Jew in their society, would have understood that 30 pieces of silver was a very significant amount of money, especially as it pertained to slavery. Look at what the writer Moses says in the book of Exodus chapter 21 as he's giving the law to the Israelites. He says, but if the ox gores a slave, either male or female, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins and the ox must be stoned. Jewish law had placed a redemption value on the life of a slave. Jewish law had determined that the value of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. And if a slave was hurt, or if a free man wanted to set a slave free, they could pay 30 pieces of silver and afford this slave their redemption, their freedom. So in this prophetic act, Jesus, who was not a slave, allowed himself to be sold out at the cost of a slave and then allowed himself to be treated as a slave, to be bound together with ropes like a slave, to be beaten and abused like a slave, to be carried away like a slave. But all of it for a purpose, all of it with intention. Its intentionality was not lost on the Jewish people. It was not lost on Jesus, although it might have been lost on some of us who don't understand contextually what's happening. But the reason that Jesus was sold out as a slave was so that every person who found themselves in slavery could be set free. He was led away so that we could walk in freedom. He was beaten and abused so that the writer Isaiah and Peter could say, by his stripes, our bodies physically can be made whole. And he was bound in his arms and his legs like a slave so that we could live our lives with no strings attached, so that we could be set free, so that we could be liberated and we didn't have to be treated the way he was treated. He said, I will allow myself to be treated like a slave if in that treatment it affords my people their right to freedom. I will let them treat me this way so that my people, my children can walk free. But wait, there's more. The, the, the Jewish law also had a caveat when it came to slavery. Another significant moment in the crucifixion. Jewish law stated that, again in Exodus chapter 21, if a slave chose to remain in captivity or in bondage, there was an act they could participate in that would allow them to become the property of their master permanently. They could choose to remain enslaved. And their act was relatively simple. They would take their ear and they would place it up against the doorpost of their master's home. And their master would take an awl, and he would take a hammer, and he would begin to drive that awl through the ear of the slave. And the hole in that slave's flesh and their blood on that post signified that they were the property of the master from that day forward, permanently sealing their fate. 
But there was another post that was coming. And there was another man who would lay his life willingly up against that wood. And there was another hammer and there were some new nails. And they were driven through our savior. But not so that he could sign up for slavery for the rest of his life. No, his blood on that post and the holes in his body were ultimately paying a price so that every person who had signed themselves up for a lifetime of slavery did not have to live in that existence any longer, but that they could be, receive the freedom that was available through his sacrifice. He was treated as a slave so that we could go free. He was handed over so that we could be liberated, which tells me there might be some people that are like an elephant staring at freedom, but not laying a hold of it. But that does not have to be our lot. Listen to me, Sophie. You do not have to stay that way. You do not have to live in yesterday's version of yourself. The freedom has already been purchased for you. So stop putting your ear up to the post of sin for another round at yesterday's patterns. No, let's walk in some freedom today because it has already been made available to us through the sacrifice of our Savior. It is ours for the taking. Now, that deserves some claps, which we just did. Yay! But here's the deal. It's not enough for us to know that cerebral knowledge isn't going to do us any good here. There's plenty of people that know it that are not experiencing it. So, so there's another aspect of this particular scripture that I think we need to lay hold of before we conclude in just a minute here. And, and as we share this last thought, I'm going to invite the band to come so that we can get ready to pray. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. According to Galatians chapter five, verse one, freedom starts in a moment, but it's sustained by a choice. It starts in a moment, but it is sustained by a choice. Paul points to both a moment and a daily decision here in this scripture. He says, Christ has set you free, past tense. He is speaking about a moment in time. Not just the moment where Jesus came to the planet and he gave his life. That was the moment that freedom became available to everybody. But he's talking about the moment where that became personal to you. The moment where you placed your faith in the finished work of that cross, freedom came. That moment where you were in your bedroom, tears streaming down your face, yelling at the sheetrock, Jesus, I need freedom. Freedom comes in that moment. There are moments of freedom that we will experience. But then he says, there's a choice that you have to make to stay free. I want you to again, picture Eric up here one side of this yoke occupied, the other side vacant. That is your reality. There, there is always a vacant spot available to you. You can willingly choose to sign up for slavery again if, you, if you'd like, or you can choose to leave this side empty. It is a choice we have to make. So, so here's how that's gonna play out today. Today's gonna be a moment for some people. I'm not saying that to hype up a room or make you feel good. I saw it in the first service. There's a moment of freedom available to some people. As we conclude today, I'm gonna have a, a team of people that have been praying and fasting and preparing for this moment all week long. Come down front. We're gonna make ourselves available. If you need prayer for a specific area in your life where you need freedom, we're going to believe that today that cord is going to be cut 
you're gonna be given permission to live with no strings attached and that freedom is coming to your life. I don't care how long you've been struggling with it. I don't care how many times you've asked for freedom and you haven't received it. I believe that there is an anointing in the room today to break yokes and to set the captives free. I believe that wholeheartedly and I, and I think it's gonna happen for some folks. But that freedom, although it happens in a moment today, it is sustained starting tomorrow. You gotta make a choice. And that choice looks different for all of us. For some, it, it might simply be committing to a lifestyle of worship, waking up in the morning, praying, being in the Word of God. We'll talk about this as we get into Galatians 5 a little bit later in our series, but it's amazing how the basic things of Christ actually have the power to transform our lives. Just the simple things. For some, it might be the need to remove the temptation to throw the stuff away, to delete the phone number, to, to, to get rid of whatever you need to get rid of in your life so that you don't have the luxury of going back to the other side of that yoke. For some, it might be accountability, opening up your life to another person and being honest about where you're at, that little dark space in your life that you don't tell anybody about, just letting that out into the light and giving somebody permission to talk to you about it. It might be simply making the call before you do the dumb thing instead of after you do the dumb thing. Hey, I'm about to do the dumb thing. Can you pray for me over the phone right now? I get those calls all the time and I love them. For some, it might be baptism. Maybe you're pleading with God to set you free, but you still haven't severed the spiritual tie between the old man so that you can walk in new freedom. And in baptism, Romans chapter six says that old man is put to death in the waters of baptism and a new creation comes up out of those waters so maybe now is the moment where you need to sever that tie so that you truly have permission in the spirit to walk in freedom. I don't know what that next step looks like for many of you, but here's the deal, the Holy Spirit does. And he loves you way more than I do. Sorry, I think you're neat, but he's really a big fan of you. And he will be faithful to give you the details necessary so that you can continue to walk out in freedom. He cares deeply about you being free. But for today, I want to be intentionally impractical and simply say, there's freedom available at these altars. There is a moment of freedom available. So in just a moment, we're gonna conclude and I will invite anyone who needs prayer to come this direction. But before we do that, I wanna ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes for our last couple of seconds here because as I stated earlier, here's what Paul said. He said, it is the sacrifice of Jesus that made freedom available to mankind. And before we talk about freedom, we need to talk about making sure that we are in relationship with Jesus. And there's some people here today that might say, okay, Tim, I, I want freedom, but I don't know where me and Jesus stand. Well, right now there is an opportunity for you to get things right between the two of you, to commit your life fully and completely to him. Maybe this is the first time you've never made that decision before to unite yourself with Christ. Or maybe it was like years ago and you've been at a distance, but you know that you need to get that right before you're ever going to taste freedom. This is your moment. The Holy Spirit knew you'd be here on Independence Day. He's got your name and he's ready to do business with you. If that's you, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. You can follow along with me in your heart. But before I do that, I just, I wanna ask, be bold right now. If you need to get things right with Jesus before you leave this place, will you quickly lift your hand up and look at me so that I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you, ma'am, got you in the back. Yeah, I got you, bro, right on. Sir, I got you right there. Hallelujah, yeah, 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 right there. Yeah, right on back there. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Okay, even if you didn't lift your hand, that's cool, but it just you can repeat this again after me in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I make a decision today to follow you. I don't wanna be at a distance any longer. 
I don't want to live the way that I've been living. So I hand you my past. I hand you my, my brokenness. I hand you my, my sin. And today I receive your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, and your freedom. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward until that moment where I see you in heaven and you look me in the eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that is set before you. You have all of me today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for all of those making a decision to come close to him today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.